Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Alrighty, we are in a book of the Bible called Genesis chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, go there. And we're spending some time looking at a marriage, a family, a case study in two of the most famous people in the history of the world, Abraham and Sarah. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might think of the people in the Bible almost like superheroes. They get it right every time. They got it all together. That's not the case. These people are a real situation and you're gonna meet them this week. And they are given for us in the Bible is the prototype and the pattern and the precedent of faith. But faith is not perfect faith. Our God is perfect and our faith is in a perfect God, but we don't have perfect faith. You're gonna see their faults, flaws, and failures today. And I hope that it encourages you. A buddy of mine, he's a pastor. He says, there's two ways to learn. One is to make mistakes. Uh, the other is to let someone else make mistakes and learn from their pain. Uh, that's letting someone else pay your dumb tax. A- Abraham and Sarah are gonna do that today. And especially Abraham. Let me just say this. If you're a terrible husband, you're still doing pretty good. I'll show you in a moment. You're gonna feel better about yourself on the way out. And the way it works with faith is this. Those who are critics of Christianity will say, there's basically uh, perfect Christians and then hypocrites. They only give us kind of two categories. So they're just waiting for any Christian, or maybe if you know someone who is critical of Christianity, waiting for you to just say or do something that they deem wrong, and then they just sort of dismiss you altogether. The Bible says that when you meet the Lord, you are new. You're forgiven, you're adopted, you're loved. It's something called a one-way grace covenant relationship. And when Jesus returns and you rise from the dead, you're gonna be perfect and your life is going to be perfect. In the middle, we're in a process. And it's where we're growing in faith. We're learning faith. We're learning to trust and walk with the Lord. It's not unlike learning to play an instrument or learning to speak a foreign language. Nobody gives you a trombone and you just play it. You're gonna make some mistakes as you figure it out. You're not going to learn how to speak a foreign language day one. You're gonna learn along the way. Faith is like that, trusting the Lord, walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord. It's something that we learn through trial and error, through mistake, and that's gonna be the case today. And it is to encourage us that even though our faith is not perfect, our God is faithful, and his faithfulness overcomes the times and seasons that we have a lack of faith. So here's the story of Abraham and Sarah, and they're gonna be center stage from Genesis 11 through 25. And they are told, uh, you're gonna have a kid. Now she's elderly and barren and he's even older than she is. And uh, God's gonna do a miracle and give them a son. Through that son is gonna come a whole nation of people that we now know as the nation of Israel. Through that nation is gonna come Jesus Christ as the blessing to the nations. And all of this is gonna take place in a piece of real estate called the promised land that God promises to this couple and their descendants. So the big idea is don't lose your wife and don't lose your land. Your wife is bringing Jesus and the land is bringing Israel. Well, that is the the demand that God has, the command that God has for Abraham and Sarah. So we see that they had a good day. They did exactly what God said. They left their homeland, their mother and father, they trusted him and moved. You're gonna see today they have some bad days. And this is what I love about the Bible. It's the most honest book ever written. 
we tend to present ourselves on our best days. Here's all my greatest hits. Our critics tend to present us on your worst days. Here's all your faults, flaws, and failures. When the Bible tells us about someone, it shows us their whole life and it's honest about both. Abraham and Sarah have had some good days. They're gonna have some bad days. Welcome to life with God as a real human being. So here's the big idea. We're gonna jump right in. In unbelief, Abraham nearly loses his promised wife. Genesis 12, 10 through 10. Now there was famine in the land, so crisis hits. Now we don't know why. Is it a, is it a drought? Is it a plague? You know, what is going on? We don't know. But there was famine in the land. So crisis hits, people are hungry and there's a lack of resources. So Abram went down. The down is literally a downward spiral. Things are going south. He's going down to Egypt to sojourn there. He's gonna hang out there for a while for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, so right before they cross the border, he's gonna have a conversation with his wife. He said to Sarah's wife, I know that you are beautiful. So this ladies, this is not a loving husband. This is a manipulative husband. Um, and and what he's, you're so beautiful, you're adorable. You're so attractive. Have I told you how amazing you are? Just looking at you, I can, I can hardly breathe. It's amazing. Uh, I know that you're a beautiful woman in appearance. Oh, well, thank you, honey. Uh, now here's the downside, sweetie pie. Uh, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Honey, do you see the problem here? Um, they're gonna kill me to get you. Uh, so say you are my sister. Did it may go well with? <laughs> But it may go well with who? Me. It's not, honey, one of us is gonna have to suffer. One, two, three, not it. Okay. Uh, it, it, this, so let me, let me just stop right here. Let me tell you. So this is a guy who starts by flattering and complimenting his wife. Oh, you're so beautiful. Yeah, I kind of am. Okay, now here's the problem, honey. You're so beautiful. They're gonna kill me to get you. Now, I know that living without me would kill you. You, you couldn't live without me. I mean, you, you, you know, I'm so important to you that you wouldn't want anything to happen to me. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna say you're my sister and then you'll marry the king and then I'll be fine. And you won't have to live with the pain of losing me. You're welcome, okay. Uh, so uh, then they will kill me. So say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you. And then my life might be spared for your sake. Honey, I'm doing this for you, you know. Because uh, you would hate to see me suffer. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that his wife was very beautiful. Uh, she's around 60, maybe five years of age. She's still beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's. Okay, guys, just. Huh? Okay, so here's your wife. You're like, bye. Okay, there she goes into another man's. House, is this a good idea or a bad idea? It's a bad idea. If you're a single guy and you're like, it's a good idea. We just found out why you're single. You have no wisdom whatsoever. How many of you guys watching your wife go into another guy's house, even if you thought it was a good idea, right about then you'd rethink your plan, right? All of a sudden you'd just find your inner Liam Neeson and you'd do something, right? You're, you're, somebody's gotta do something. He just, bye, have fun. It's, tell this harem I said hi. He's saying goodbye to his wife into another man's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. So 
So Sarah has to join a harem in a cult and Abraham gets a payday, a very large payday. How many of you women are bothered by the story so far? Grace, I was outside this week studying. Grace walks out. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm studying Genesis for the sermon. She's, oh, let's talk about it. I'll help you. Let me just say that this was not my favorite Bible study with my wife. She was very intense. She's like, you better never sell me. Okay, <laughs> write that down. I wrote it down. Still got a little PTSD from my Bible study with Grace. Okay, but the Lord did what? Afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. So they all got the COVID. So they all got the COVID. Now, and they were very frustrated. They're like, why do we have the COVID? Cause you're not supposed to have the promised wife. Well, we've been washing our hands. We got masks on, been six feet. We have not left the palace. Now we got the COVID. So God gives them all the COVID so they can't consummate the marriage cause he can't even breathe. He's got the COVID. Okay, so. <sighs> So Pharaoh called to Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? You gave me the COVID. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? But they didn't consummate yet. Now then, here's your wife, crazy old man. Take your woman and get out of here and take the COVID and get out and take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. Don't mess with that guy, He'll give you the COVID and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. All right, so here's the story. Uh, so let's look first at Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a counterfeit of Jesus. So the nation of Egypt is a counterfeit of the kingdom of God. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So it's a counterfeit kingdom. It is uh, ruled by the Pharaoh and he is called the son of God. So his father would have been considered a God and he would be the son of God. So he's the counterfeit Jesus. They have counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles, counterfeit priests, counterfeit religion, counterfeit priesthood. You can see more of this in the book of Exodus. It's the most supernatural time period in all of human history recorded in the Bible. And here, this is a counterfeit. Now, the way this works, uh, he, so this guy, the Pharaoh, he, he's an evil king, he's a dictator. He's demonic, his country is a cult, it's run like North Korea, and Father Abraham just gave him his wife. And now she is joining a cult and she's gotta join a new country and she's gonna be part of a large harem with a ton of other women. I mean, this is the beginning of the Bachelor series right here. This is a whole situation. And so, uh, or is it The Bachelorette? I don't know, I don't watch either. Uh, but either way, it's, it's just a really nefarious situation. But here's the big idea. Between Abraham and Pharaoh, who actually acts like the more moral guy with better character? Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh's overt, not covert. Abraham's lying and scheming. And Pharaoh's like, why, why don't you just come clean and be honest with me? In addition, uh, we see from the Pharaoh that he is actually honorable well, where Abraham, the believer, is dishonorable. So you have an honorable unbeliever and a dishonorable believer. In this way, at least Pharaoh's gonna marry her and he's gonna pay you know, a generous bride price to Abraham and honor him. And he, he's not doing anything that he considers to be wrong in his country and culture, but Abraham is way out of bounds. So here's the big idea. Sometimes the believers act worse than the unbelievers. Have you seen this? Have you, have you ever seen, you're like, I, I know, you know, there, I have some non-Christian friends and I have some Christian friends and I wouldn't introduce these Christian friends to these non-Christian friends because these Christians are terrible, okay? So uh, and if you don't know people like that, that's you. Okay, so the way this works, 
there are some decent moral people, some good pagans. Jesus tells a story in the New Testament about the good Samaritan. And he's a decent guy, he's got a conscience. So, and sometimes God will use the unbeliever to rebuke the believer. That's here what's gonna happen. Pharaoh's like, hey man, uh, you gave me your wife and the COVID, like you sick God on me, why didn't you just get honest with me? So let's, let's do this. Let's just look at, uh, let's look at Pharaoh and say, you know, he doesn't even know the Lord and he's, he's, got, he's got decent character, at least compared to Abraham. So let's look at Abraham as a leader. Crisis hits, and this is what always happens. Crisis hits, people get scared and they give up their freedom. You've been around the last two years? So he has total freedom. He's living, you know, independent of this king and kingdom of Egypt. Crisis hits, he is going to come under the government, give up his freedom to have some sort of temporary uh, provision, but it's going to cost him long-term. Here's what happens. Crisis hits, people give up their freedom out of fear and the government never gives it back. Have you seen this? It's happening, happening globally. And so what he does, he goes into Egypt and God is going to deliver him and say, you can't be there. You're going to give up your freedom. In the short term, it will relieve some pain, but in the long term, it's going to create some problems. This becomes a, a little case study in 400 years later, at the end of Genesis, the descendants of Abraham go into the nation of Egypt during another famine and then they are enslaved, they lose all of their freedom, their churches are closed, and God has to send Moses to supernaturally deliver them to leave this godless government that takes away their freedom so they can reopen their church and they can worship their God. Genesis isn't just about what happened, but about what always happens. And when there is threat of danger, people give up freedom and they never get it back. That's why God is ultimately going to get Abraham and Sarah out of this country. Now, here's the story with Abraham. God told him, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God told him he would bless him. Abraham does trust the Lord, but in this moment, he's gripped with fear. He's anxious, he's worried because he's uncertain how God will provide. And Ultimately, he needs to trust that God said he would bless him. And if he goes into Egypt, it was promised that those who come against him, God would come against them. So here he is a man of faith, but in this moment, he's not being faithful. And his faith is weak and it is wavering, and he is struggling to trust the Lord. In addition, the question I would ask is this, did God tell Abraham to go to Egypt? No. God told him previously, move, and he did. Here, God didn't say move, Abraham did. And so the big idea is this, if you're gonna make a major decision, especially for your family, you better seek God's will. Don't just react to your circumstances. Instead, you've gotta find God's will. And so oftentimes what we do is we're like, well, this is a problem, so I'm gonna react and go here, and this is a problem, I'm gonna go there, and this is a problem, I'm gonna go here. Question, no, you gotta stop me with the Lord. Before you move to another city, before you start a new career, before you, you know, pull your kids out of that school, before you go find a new church, you better make sure, like these are big decisions, Lord, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? It doesn't say that Abraham prayed about it, sought the Lord. He just impulsively responded to his circumstances and he didn't meet with his God. Here's another principle we learned, big tests come after big victories. Sometimes we have faith through the big test and then once it's over, we sort of let our guard down. 
He just responded in faith. He moved his whole family, which was a big win and a great victory. And then here famine hits and the test comes after his victory. Sometimes we feel like, man, I made it through. No, 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 now there's something else. And sometimes the big test comes after the big victory. And what we see here is that fear is not anything that can produce the will of God in your life. You make your decisions out of faith or out of fear. Now, Abraham is a man who has faith, but in this moment, his decisions are governed and guided by fear. And what we have seen the last two years on planet earth is that fear doesn't result in anything good. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Oftentimes with fear, there is a demonic spirit and it becomes contagious. Do you remember the great toilet paper shortage crisis of 2020? Everybody's like, well, they're running with toilet paper. I'm running with toilet paper. We're all running with toilet paper. Why? Well, if the end of the world comes, I need to be clean. It was like, well, if the end of the world comes, I think that's the least of your worries. You know, like we're all in a zombie apocalypse, you know, holding toilet paper. And it's just, what it leads to is herd mentality, bad decision-making. And when the crisis ultimately passes, you look back on the decisions you made, you're like, that wasn't very smart. That didn't make a lot of sense. But what happens is this, you and I, we were made to respond to threat with fight or flight response, and that's a good thing. But if you live in fright or fear, you cannot live in the will of God. And so God has not given us a spirit of fear. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear, just like a demon needs to be cast out, so the spirit of fear needs to be cast out. And what you find is that churches and families and schools and businesses and states and cities and nations that infected themselves with fear are continually gripped by fear. They don't have any plan for their future. They don't have any courage for decision-making. And as a result, they end up like Abraham in a very dangerous place for themselves and their family. He is gripped by fear. This is not wisdom. And even if the threat is real, the fear does not help. Faith will get you through it. Fear causes you to respond to it and make very short-term foolish decisions. So let's look at this. They're on the brink of heading into Egypt. Now it's kind of curious that he springs this plan on Sarah. They probably got a household of hundreds of people, a lot of livestock. This is a big move. And they're right at the border. He's like, oh babe, one thing I gotta run by you. You're so cute, so adorable. Oh my gosh, you look so great. Shoes are amazing, hair is amazing, 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 amazing. By the way, you're gonna join a harem. You know, and uh, he kind of springs it on her last minute. So let's just do this. Let's look at his options as a leader. What could he have done rather than take his wife into Egypt? What could he have done? He could have stopped at the border and said, you know, that I, honey, I wanna run this by you. Uh, I was thinking maybe you could join the harem of the cult leader. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, like, yeah, still, I mean, what, you, you know, what do you think? Oh, okay, well, don't, we could turn around and go. The other thing he could do, he could go in in advance and negotiate a deal. He could send one of his guys in, hey, I've got a wealthy guy who wants to come here for a short stay. Uh, he'd like to give some sort of generous gift to the king to protect his family. Can we negotiate a deal? The other thing he could have done, I was thinking about it, is this. Uh, I'm gonna need the women's help here because if I say it, it's, it's not gonna go good. good. So, uh, so ladies, is there anything you could do to make yourself less attractive? I'll just ask it that way. Because Sarah is attractive, but she could become unattractive. I mean, men do this all the time. So I assume that women are capable. I saw a guy at the store in his pajamas. So I was like, good job. You, 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 way to, way to ensure singleness, you know, way to do that. Um, 
So it is possible if you're attracted to make yourself less attractive. So for those of you on the internet, this is not me, this is me just pulling the women and then sharing what they share. So ladies, what could you do to make yourself less attractive? You could cut your hair off. You could take your makeup off. What else? You could put a bag over your head, okay? You could, you could get a hoodie and wear it in reverse, like, okay? You could do that. What else could you do? Don't bathe. Don't bathe, works every time. I mean, it works every time. Like, wow, she's pretty, but as soon as I get close, I pass out. I mean, so it's deterrent. What else could you do to be less attractive? You could, okay, well, there you go. Okay, so, okay. All right, we, uh, we have a prayer team in the back after the sermon. They lay hands on people who need healing and deliverance. Okay, so that's, we'll see you there. All right, I'm not asking any more questions. Yes, too, too, too far, so, oh. But what I do appreciate, sir, is you now make me look reasonable. So I appreciate that, because I look crazy, but you help. So thank you very much. So, so let's talk about Abraham as a husband. How many of you ladies think he is probably not gonna get a prize for husband of the year? He's not, he's not doing so good. How is he as a husband? Is he a burden giver or a burden lifter? He's a burden giver. And if you're a husband, you need to be a burden lifter, not a burden giver. You can't look at your wife and be like, hey, I got a lot of problems. <sighs> Thanks, I feel better. You know, you gotta, you gotta carry your responsibilities. In addition, does he have a lower high pain threshold? Very low. He, he, he's not even suffering. What he's like is, I think they might hurt me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, if they don't, she probably will. I think that's how, Grace and I had this talk. She's like, well, if, if the Egyptians didn't hurt him, she said, the wife should have. You know, and so pray for me. I slept with my eyes open last night. It was kind of scary having this Bible study with Grace. But he's got a low pain threshold. And the key to this, if you wanna increase your influence as a leader, you need to increase your pain tolerance. And what happens is at some point, everybody says, I can't handle anymore. That's where ultimately you're going to make a bad decision. And so ultimately what we see here is he's not even willing to hypothetically suffer. But if you're gonna lead, especially love your wife, you're gonna have to suffer a little bit. And let me ask you this. So Abram, is he being selfish or a servant? Very selfish. And if you go back and read it, he says the words, I and me, a lot. Oh, I need this and I need that. And they're gonna hurt me and it's gonna cost me. And it's, he's not thinking about her, he's thinking about himself. The key to a marriage is this, the husband and wife, they've gotta have the attitude of servant. I serve you, you serve me. If one or both is selfish, it is going to be a brutal marriage and that's where they find themselves. And in addition, he here says, she's my sister. Now, some of the, comment, some of the Bible commentators, they'll go to the section, they'll say, well, you know, technically this could be his sister. There, there is a case, you know, earlier in Genesis four where, you know, Cain and Abe came married his sister, you know, a little bit of Kentucky in the promised land. And sometimes people in the Bible do marry their sister and maybe he did. And let me ask this, even if it is his sister, is this a good idea? No. And if it was his sister, it's now his wife. So it doesn't really matter. Here's the big idea. Abraham is a man who is loved by God and God is faithful to him. And he is given to us in the Bible as a prototype of faith, but his faith is not perfect faith. It's faith in process. I hope that encourages you. And for a lot of the husbands, you should see them right now. They're looking at their wife like, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, 
but he's, he's not a great guy. So let me ask this, let's talk about Sarah, ladies. She's beautiful, she's 65. Her husband wants to give her away to a cult leader to join a harem, join another nation, join another religion. Uh, here are some possibilities of why she went along with it. Number one, she may have just been sick of Abraham. She's like, I'm done, you're, this is terrible, okay? In addition, maybe she was just too passive and quiet. Do you think that's possible, ladies? She's like, well, I don't wanna speak up. No, you need to, sister. Because ultimately it says in Genesis, it's not good for a man to be alone and his wife is helpful to him. She needs to speak up here. And sometimes ladies will be like, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna you know, raise my voice. Well, there are certain times like joining a harem demonic cult leader, harem, you know, yell. So that's a good time to make your voice heard. She's too quiet. And um, some would say, no, actually the reason Sarah didn't say or do anything, she was just trusting the Lord. What do you ladies think about that? No? Okay, I don't think so either. Uh, here's, uh, this might be the strongest candidate. At this point, Abraham and Sarah were living in tents. She may have just been sick of camping. This just might've been it. <laughs> like I married Ginger, not Marianne. She's not a camper. That's just how we roll. She might've been like, at least he's got a kitchen. I'm out. Okay, so um, she may have just been, how many of you ladies, you hate camping so much? Your husband's like, I'm gonna get rid of you. He's like, to a guy with a house? So it, it may have been, that sounds interesting. So, so let me ask you this. So here's the, here's the big idea. Is Pharaoh the hero? Nope. Is Abraham the hero? Nope. Is Sarah the hero? Nope. Is there any hero? Yep. Who's the hero? God, God shows up. Here's the good news. God's always a hero. So God's the hero of their life, their marriage, their family, their legacy, their lineage. God is the hero of the Bible. God is the hero of human history. This is good news. If their God doesn't show up, this all goes bad. He loses his wife, the son doesn't come, Israel isn't created, Jesus doesn't come, we all go to hell. There's a lot riding on this. This is a big deal. God's like, you know what? I gotta come down and get involved. Here's the good news. This God involves himself in the protection and deliverance of his people. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because if we look at the story, if we look out, okay, Pharaoh, Abraham, Sarah, uh-oh, look up, oh, thank you, Lord. God's gonna come down and get involved. Here's a line from the New Testament. Even when we are faithless, this God is faithful. So there are times that we are faithful to the Lord and there are times that we are faithless toward the Lord. Abraham is just like the rest of us. We tend to think of these people as like superheroes with mythical powers. And like, actually, they're a lot more frail and human and normal and regular than we would think. They're a lot more like us. And God was good to them, God's good to us. God's faithful to them, God's faithful to us. They have some good days, they have some bad days. We have some good days, we have some bad days, but God only has good days. And he's good even on our bad days. And he is faithful even when we are faithless. So what makes our relationship with God work is not that we have continual faith, but we have faith in a God who is continually faithful. That's such an encouragement. In addition, he steps in to save the marriage and family. And here's the big idea. Sometimes God saves us from ourselves. How many of you, God saved you from you? See, Abraham and Sarah can't be like, you know, save us from all of our enemies. Abraham's his own worst enemy. God saves us from Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. And sometimes he saves us from us. 
He's like, that's a bad decision. You gotta fix that. That's a real mess. Need to clean that up. You're going where? Come on, let me get you out of there. But this is the goodness of our God. So the next thing that we see is not only is God saving them, he's blessing them. And the blessing must be stewarded. Genesis 13, one through seven. So Abraham went up from Egypt. So he went down to Egypt. That's literally going south, downward. Now he's gonna turn around and go north back toward the presence of God. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, extended family, um, you know, those that are part of his household, his business, probably hundreds of people and Lot with him. Lot is a near relative and a lot of drama, a lot of problems. The guy has a lot of issues into the Negev. Now, Abraham was very what? Very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. So he's, he's killing it. His portfolio is great. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar to the Lord at first. Here's a big idea. If you wander away from the Lord, go back to where you started. It says in Revelation of one church, you've lost your first love. Go back to the things that you did at first. If you're like, well, when I got saved, I'd read the Bible every morning and spend time in prayer and go to church. Well, then go back to where you started, okay? And rebuild on that foundation. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He's gonna apologize, repent. He's gonna have church. He's gonna worship the Lord. And Lot who went with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Their businesses are booming that the land cannot contain both households for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. If you've seen Yellowstone, imagine two rips on one plot. You're like, we need a fence. Uh, uh, this is gonna end badly. At that time, the Canaanites, bad guys, and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So what it says is this. So Abraham and Lot are the believers. God prospers and blesses them, but they are starting to have some conflict between their businesses and households. And if they don't work it out, they're gonna weaken one another. That leaves them vulnerable to the attack from the Canaanites and the Perizzites. The point is this, if God's people don't work together, eventually they weaken one another and then others attack them. This is why unity among God's people is so incredibly important. And what we see here is this. So there's Abraham and Sarah, and then there's this other character, Lot. He's gonna figure prominent in the storyline of Genesis as we proceed forward. And here's the big idea, Lot is never helpful. How many of you have a relative like that? Don't raise your hand if you brought them, but you've got, a, you've got those, you've got those, you're like that part, of, they're crazy. They're, that part of the family is just nuts. It's just drama and crisis and issues and problems. So be like, I don't know anyone like that. Again, I hate to tell you, then that's you. That's just the point of the story. But we've all got relatives like that. You're like, they're just the crazy extended family. And what God told Abraham was, leave your family. He leaves everybody except for Lot. And he probably shouldn't have brought Lot. It's probably partial obedience. Now, what God did promise is that he would bless Abraham and bless those who blessed him. And God here is good to his word. God not only saves us, he blesses us. And here, Lot is freeloading off of Abraham's blessing. See, Lot seems to me to be the kind of guy, God's like, I'm gonna bless Abraham and those who bless him. He's like, awesome, bless you, brother. You know, he's that guy always looking for what's in it for him. Now, that being said, I want you to see here that they are rich, but it's because of God's blessing. 
We live in a culture that only has two categories, rich and poor. And the cultural trend towards socialism is uh, the rich people are bad, the poor people are good. And the truth is the Bible has four kinds of people, godly rich and ungodly rich, godly poor and ungodly poor. The question is not, are you rich or poor? The question is, are you godly or ungodly? So here in this story, we have Abraham who's rich and the Pharaoh who's rich. Pharaoh is ungodly rich, Abraham is godly rich. Ultimately, Pharaoh gets his wealth through running a dictatorship in a kingdom that is corrupt to its core. And Abraham is just blessed because God blessed him. You and I need to think biblically, not culturally. We need to think biblically and not socialistically. Just because someone is doing well doesn't mean that they cheated. It may mean that they were blessed. And so Abraham is a picture here of someone who is richly blessed of the Lord. And ultimately he is so blessed that the blessing spills over to Lot. And so what they ultimately are gonna need is literally boundaries. And what happens is this, that when you have unhealthy extended family members, they don't maintain good boundaries. True? So sometimes what happens is like you get married, you have a family, your family thinks, well, we're just one big family. I don't know, we're a whole bunch of little families. So once you get married, it said in Genesis 2 that a man would leave his mother and father, cling or cleave to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. So now they are a new family. So like I'm a dad with two married kids. When my kids get married, they start their own new family. And what that means is, so we've got five kids. So let's say the day comes that all of our kids are married. We're not one family now, we're six. And you got your family and you got your family and you got your family and you got your family. And as our families do things together, we gotta talk about that and we gotta, we gotta figure that out together. And there are boundaries. What happens with unhealthy family systems? Like, well, we're family. And what that means is you allow family members to get away with things you would never let anyone else get away with. And sometimes the way this works is like, um, yeah, hey, yeah, we're kind of down on our luck. We need to live with you for a while. Wait a minute, this is my house, not our house. Hey, my car broke down, I need your keys. Whoa, 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 that's my car, you have your car, your car does not run, my car does. I'm driving, you're walking, that's my car, not your car, okay? Okay, a little healing going on in the room. Okay, so, <laughs> I'm so glad I brought my in-laws. Okay, so, um, and sometimes this will be, hey, it's Christmas or it's the holidays. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we're family. We all get together. Here's what we're doing. Wait a minute. That's your family. This is our family. Let's talk about this. And sometimes it's even in your own residence, right? This is my house, not your house. You can't just show up whenever you want. You need to call, ask. And uh, if you lose your house, you can't automatically move into my house. Now we may wanna love you, serve you, help you, give grace to you, but there are boundaries. And, and the way this works is this is my family, not your family. This is my house, not your house. This is my car, not your car. This is my holidays, not your holidays. Uh, this is my money, not, my, not our money. And this is what happens in a dysfunctional family. They're like, hey, I'm running low on cash. I'm gonna need some. Like, no, wait a minute. It's not our money. See this? You have your family, I have my family. This is why we have a door on the house. This was not an accident, okay? This is why I didn't give you the pin code to my you know, ATM account. It's, it's, no, you got yours, I got mine. So what they're gonna literally do here, they're gonna create boundaries. This is your land, this is my land. 
This is your livestock, this is my livestock. This is your family, this is my family. This is your business, this is my business. And here's what happens. If you don't draw and maintain and keep boundaries with unhealthy family members, the least healthy person in the family sets the boundaries. And it makes you miserable. And it hurts your family. True or false? True, Genesis isn't just about what happened, but about what always happens. Here they're functioning as one big family. They don't have boundaries and it is not going well. So they need healthy boundaries. And let me say this, when you make healthy boundaries with your extended family, they're going to test them and you need to maintain those boundaries. But good fences make for good neighbors and that's what's gonna happen here. So God promised to bless them and they are very blessed. They're rich in livestock, gold, silver. But here's the big idea. Blessings need to be stewarded and managed. The big problem, we have a lot of problems in America. Here's one of them. Everybody just thinks, I just need more money. You need more wisdom, not just more wealth. If you get wealth without wisdom, eventually you lose your wealth. And the big idea is this, sometimes success is at least as hard to manage as failure. Here, they are successful. Their business is burgeoning, it is blossoming, it is booming and they gotta manage that. What happens when you are failing is people have compassion for you. When you are succeeding, people criticize you. When things are not going well, people put an arm around you. When things are going well, people come with a fist at you. And so sometimes we think, oh, it's so hard to manage suffering. It's also hard to manage blessing because it requires stewardship and management. So what we see here, this would be in the language of our present day, this would be what we would call estate planning. It's stewardship. What are we gonna do with our land? What are we gonna do with our money? What are we gonna do with our livestock? What are we gonna do with our gold and silver? What are we gonna do with our employees? This is estate planning. And again, we live in a day when most people think, I just need more money. And we keep giving people money and they don't gain any wisdom, which means we're not actually long-term helping them. So even in the last few years, people are just like, just, I just need more money. But without wisdom, if you have wealth without wisdom, eventually you lose all your wealth. So I'll give you guys a simple example. I grew up in a poor neighborhood uh, right next to an airport, uh, working class, and there were three kinds of poor people in our neighborhood. There were um, first-generation immigrants that just landed and they lived near the airport. And those people tended to work very hard. They pulled together. Uh, they, they tried really hard to start a fresh new life for themselves. And most of them got out of poverty and moved forward because they worked hard and they, they came to our country looking for an opportunity and they maximized it. So a lot of my friends growing up, English was their second language and America was their new home. In addition, we had people in my neighborhood that were working class poor. This was my family and my dad. My dad hung sheetrock until he broke his back to feed five kids hardworking, honest, integrous man. That, was, that is my father and I, I love my, my dad and I appreciate his work ethic very much. And uh, he didn't steal from anybody, he was generous. He worked very, very hard, but we were working class, blue collar, but we were economically poor. And then the third category was people that had no wealth, but they had no wisdom. And they would get wealth and without wisdom, they would lose their wealth. So there was a buddy of mine in the neighborhood. He, uh, he had a lot of brothers and sisters, all from different fathers. 
none of the fathers were involved in the raising of the children. And the mother lived off of a lot of government assistance. And then one day, uh, somebody in the family died and she got a big inheritance. I don't know how much it was. I was maybe middle school kid. And I remember talking to my friend. He's like, man, we just got, we, we just hit the jackpot. Like my mom just got this big inheritance. It's like, okay, cool. What are you guys gonna do with it? He said, well, my mom said we all get a new waterbed. How many of you know that the waterbed market is not a secure place for your investment future? <laughs> it's not like, you know, it's not like if, if, if you go to an investment banker, they'll be like, well, there's silver, gold, waterbed. Like waterbed is up and to the right. You know, cause you know, if it doesn't work out, everybody's looking for a used waterbed. I mean, it's crazy, the supply chain, you know? So, um, and he said, and we got a huge new fish tank and some exotic fish. We're going out to dinner. We're taking a vacation. My mom got a new car and she's going to the casino. So he told me, guess what? They were broke again very soon because the answer is not wealth, it is wisdom. And even if God blesses you, you need to manage and steward your resources. In the last year, the average homeowner in America made more on their equity than they did from their job. The question is, what are you gonna do with that? What are you gonna do with that? And we have a government that gives people wealth, but it doesn't give people wisdom. We expect the government to just send us money and they don't give us a class in school on how to steward or manage it. And so what happens here is Abraham is being a good steward, a good manager of God's blessing. What he's saying is we need an estate plan. We need a business plan. We need to make sure that our assets are calculated. And ultimately there are boundaries with another family, another business, another income stream. And what it says is that he goes north. And this is literally repentance. If you wanna know how a family can be blessed, it is that when you get it wrong, repent to God and ask him to make it right. That's it. So Abraham makes a terrible decision. All right, everybody pack up, we're going to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, God's like, this is a terrible idea. You're supposed to be there, not here. You're supposed to be with your wife, not giving away your wife. Abraham's like, oh gosh, okay, everybody pack up. We're going north again. This is him going back to the Lord. And he goes back to the altar where he first worshiped the Lord in that land. Repentance is this, it is literally turning around. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's a change of life. Because faith is two things. It's what you believe in here and it's how you behave out there. Abraham turning around and going north, that's an act of repentance. And guys, let me just say this, for a man, this is hard. He had to look at his wife and say, honey, I was wrong. What do you think she said? Duh, okay, duh, duh. He had to look at his household, all his employees and be like, they're like, we just packed everything. We took all the livestock, you know, we've been you know, carrying the gold, like this was a big job. And he's like, yeah, I was wrong, I was wrong. Guys, we gotta turn around and go back. Actually, everything we did was a waste of time, money, and energy. I made a bad leadership decision. But here's the good news. If you make a bad decision and you repent of it, God can bless you. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, one of our overseers, he uses the analogy that when you're disobeying God, your canoe is going upstream. When you're obeying God, your canoe is going downstream. The question is, do you want your canoe to go upstream or downstream? See, when he's going to Egypt, he's going downstream. He's working against God's will, that's exhausting. He repents, turns around, now he's going down. Okay, God, this is what you want. God's like, I'm gonna help you with that because that's the direction I want you to go. 
Sometimes the reason we don't repent and turn around, we don't like to say things like, I was wrong, it's my fault, I'm sorry, that was a dumb idea. You know, it's gonna cost us a lot. And sometimes we just get stubborn and we double down. Or sometimes we think, you know what? I've already chosen a course of action, proceed boldly. Abraham is a man of faith. And it doesn't mean that he gets it right the first time, but when he gets it wrong, he repents and he trusts God to make it right. The point is this, are you going the direction that God wants you to go? And if not, are you willing to stop, own it, repent of it, apologize for it and change it? And he does. Now you would think at this point, he just almost lost his wife. And God said, here's the two things I'm gonna give you. Wife, comes a kid, comes a nation that's gonna live in the land. So the wife in the land, really important. He almost lost the wife. You think he would have learned his lesson? Nope, okay. He almost loses the promised land. Genesis 13, eight through 13. Then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. Here's the boundaries. Here's the business plan. Here's the estate plan. Here's the stewardship. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. Lot, you decide, what do you want? This is a bad idea. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. So Lot lives by sight, not by faith. Saw that the Jordan Valley was very well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. We live in the desert. If you've got a river and a well, that's a good piece of land. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So God, Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. Oh, I'll take... I'll take Scottsdale, you get Yuma, Abraham. I'll give you Yuma, good luck. So Lot chose for himself Scottsdale and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in Yuma while Lot settled in Scottsdale uh, of the valley and moved his tent as far as Lot is gonna take his family and go camping in North Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were Wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Janet Jackson level, nasty, nasty boys. <laughs> nasty, nasty boys. Okay, so, so Abraham, he should, who should make the decision as, okay, here's all the land. Okay, you get a piece, I get a piece. Who should make the decision, Abraham or Lot? Abraham. He's the man of God, chosen by God, got the promise from God, he's older, and God gave him the promised land. Now, what if Lot chooses the land that God told Abraham was his? Now, not only has he potentially lost his wife, now he's gonna lose the land. So ultimately, some would say that Abraham here is demonstrating tremendous, let's just case study this. He's just demonstrating faith, he's just trusting the Lord. I'll just let Lot pick and the Lord is sovereign and rule. How many of you think he's demonstrating faith? Yes, no, I hate to interrupt your nap. Uh, so uh, the other option is some say he's being very generous, but you can't give away what God said he needs you to have. Third option is just being a coward. This is a likely candidate. He seems like a guy, Abraham seems like a guy, doesn't really like conflict. Hey babe, when we get to Egypt, they might want you, so uh, they can have you, I don't do conflict. Hey, Lot, I don't, I don't like any, you know, our, our employees, our herdsmen, 
uh, or having some conflict, you know, you're ripping my rip, they're really getting into it. So, you know, I don't want any conflict. So you just pick, you pick the land you want and I'll take whatever's left. He seems like a man who's got fear of man, cowardice, people pleasing, and he avoids conflict. Let me say this, if you avoid conflict, you're not going to do well in following the Lord or loving your family. It's not that God's people love conflict, but sometimes there's no choice. In Revelation 21, eight, it talks about the people who don't make it into the heavenly city of God's kingdom. And one of the things it says is the cowards. Let me say this, being a coward is a sin. And being a coward is living under the spirit of fear, which is the opposite of faith. And Abraham seems to be here, to me, a bit of a coward. He's willing to lose his wife and his land. And God said, no, that's your wife and that's your land. And this is not a man who is operating in faith. If he had faith, he'd have the courage to have the conflict to stand up for his wife and to stand up for the land that God had promised him. Now, God is ultimately going to overcome his cowardice, but he is, I believe, responsible for it. So let's talk about Lot. Lot is a guy that he probably should not have brought with him. He should probably have left him with the other relatives. But Lot is selfish and entitled. He's very selfish. He looks out, he's like, okay, that land looks good. That land looks bad. I'll take the good land. It's very selfish. And he's very entitled. The only reason Lot is blessed is because he's with Abraham. So it's like, Abraham, you're blessed. And I'm getting the spillover of your blessing. Uh, this is like, uh, you know, you're gonna, let's say you got two cars and your relative's car blows up and you're like, well, I got two cars. Why don't you come over and I'll give you one. Okay, what do you got? Well, I got this old pickup and I got this new Maserati. They're like, Maserati, that's kind of entitled and selfish. And that's Lot and that's gonna be the way that he works. In addition, he lives by sight. He doesn't live by faith. It tells us that Abraham built an altar, worshiped the Lord with his household. It doesn't say that about Lot. Lot doesn't build an altar. Lot doesn't pray. Lot doesn't worship. He is a believer. The Bible says in the New Testament, he's a believer. We'll get there in a little bit. New Testament actually talks about the righteous Lot. You're like, what? I mean, I don't know if you could convict him in court of being righteous, but that's, that's, what, that's what God says about him because God gives him grace and he's righteous by grace, not because he's a great guy, but because God gives him a great gift of righteousness. But nonetheless, he lives by sight, not by faith. And here's the big idea. Something can look fantastic, but only God knows the future. And what is fantastic could become the biggest crisis in your entire life. And so ultimately it's not about what you see, but it's about what he sees because you see what is today. He sees what is tomorrow. This is where seeking the Lord, praying and finding the Lord's will is crucial. And we've got this right now. People all over America are relocating. They're moving. We're in the fastest growing city and county in America. People are like, well, where's the best housing market? Where can I get the most square footage? Well, where, where's the best tax base? And the question is, where are your family members going to flourish? Where are they going to grow in character? Where are you going to be able to have a life relationship together with God that is healthy? It's not just about your income. It's not just about your square footage. It's not just about your tax base. It's about your soul. And ultimately, Lot doesn't factor any of that. He just sees what looks to be the short-term best strategy. So what he does, he moves his whole family further south toward Egypt. And this is physical and it's spiritual. They're going south and they plant their flag on just this side of the border of what? Sodom. 
And this becomes a catastrophic decision because Lot lacks wisdom. So what happens is they both start, Abraham and Lot, with tremendous blessing. In the end, Abraham's family is going to be wealthy for generations. Lot's family is gonna go bankrupt. Uh, they did a study, those who won the lottery, 70% go broke and one in three files for bankruptcy. The point is this, if you get wealth without wisdom, eventually you lose the wealth. That's going to be the tragic story of Lot. So without spoiler alert, we're gonna get into this in the ensuing weeks. We're gonna get into Sodom and Gomorrah and you're gonna be offended and I'm gonna get kicked off of Facebook and it's gonna be awesome, so come back. Um, and, uh, and ultimately he moves his family into Sodom. And the Sodomites, they are, they are just reprehensible people. They have no character. They have no sexual guardrails or boundaries. They do whatever they want. They put rainbow stickers on their camel. I mean, they are just out there. They are out there people. So the story continues that what happens a little bit later um, God is going to send flaming road tar to eviscerate Sodom, okay? Because he told Noah, he's like, I'll never flood the earth. And the people are like, great, then we'll do what we want. He's like, I'll do road tar. So he sends road tar instead of water. And to get Lot and his family out, God sends a few angels. The angels show up and the men in the city, they encircle his house and they wanna sexually assault the angels. So God delivers them. And what happens to Lot's wife? as they're fleeing from the destruction of Sodom. They're leaving, they're going north and she's got her I heart Sodom sweatshirt on and her keep Sodom weird hat on. And she, she looks around, you know, with the I heart Sodom and the keep Sodom, oh, I miss Sodom, Sodom was so great. We had such good times. Oh, I just, and then she is turned into a pillar of salt. And then they flee into the mountains. He leaves all of his wealth. His daughters grew up in Sodom and they are not well. They're watching crazy conspiracy stuff on YouTube. They think that the end of the world has come. They're freaked out. They're in a cave with their dad. Their dad gets naked, passes out. You're like, did you not read the Noah story? We already did this. <sighs> so he passes out naked. They sleep with him so that they can have a baby before the end of the world. And you look at Sodom and Abraham and they're, they're, it's like, why did this family flourish and why did this family just get decimated and devastated? Because this guy lived by faith and this guy lived by sight. And when this guy got it wrong, he repented. And when this guy got it wrong, he didn't. And ultimately, the point is this, we're gonna get there, but be very careful that you don't move your family to Sodom. And sometimes people are like, well, my family's in Sodom, what's the big deal? Well, the, the big deal is that Sodom is in your family. And here's, here's what happens to Abraham. He gets his wife and his daughters, or God gets his wife and his daughters out of Sodom, but they don't get Sodom out of his wife and daughters. They've been brainwashed, they've been perverted, they've been corrupted. Their thinking is completely wrong and their desires are completely debased. So here's the big idea. Don't let, don't let Sodom raise your kids. Don't let Sodom dictate the values of your family. If we've learned anything from the story of Noah, it is uh, you better build an ark for your family and love everybody and tell them about Jesus, but make sure that your family makes it. The story of Sodom is not only does he not have converts, he, he doesn't even have family members who love and follow the Lord.
and their thinking and their identity and their desires and their sexuality and their gender is totally corrupted by growing up in Sodom. So it's a conviction for each of us. The decisions that we're making today, they will decide where does our family live? Who do we hang out with? What do our kids see as normal, healthy marriage, relationship and family? What will our kids think is normal sexual identity and behavior and conduct? And if all they are seeing growing up is just the spirit of Sodom, don't be shocked when they grow up to think and act like Sodomites. It's a, it's a forewarning and a foreboding that will manifest itself a little deeper. So the question then is, well, is there any hope? Is there any good news, Pastor Mark? Can we end on an up note? No, actually there is. So here we go. Find God's will and worship him. So as opposed to Lot that doesn't build an altar and worship with his family, Abraham builds an altar and worships with his household. Genesis 13, 14 through 18, the Lord said to Abram, God speaks to Abram, he doesn't speak to Lot. Abram worships the Lord and it doesn't seem like Lot does. After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. Here's the land I'm giving you. We now know this is Israel. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. That wife you almost lost, she's gonna have a son. That son is gonna turn into a nation. That nation is gonna be Israel. Through Israel is gonna come the son of God, Jesus Christ. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Abraham, I got big plans for your family. I wanna bless you for generations so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the Oaks of Mamre. It was a historic place that was well known, which are at Hebron. And there he what? He built an altar to the Lord. But Abraham, so first he needs to walk he needs to worship and he needs to wait. God says, walk around the promised land. Look, here's all that I've given you. You need to pray over it, dedicate it to me. This is my land, I'm the owner. You're the manager and steward. You need to pray for generations. You need to start to make decisions for not just your life, but your legacy and your lineage. You need to start thinking about the future. Dedicate this to me. This is like the people walking around Jericho. Like it now belongs to the Lord. He needs to walk and he needs to worship. So he builds an altar. And probably what he does, he brings his wife over. And I'm guessing it's something like this, like, honey, all right, look, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. I've sinned. God spared us. Like if it wasn't for him, we'd be doomed. So I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna apologize. Let's sing together. Let's hold hands. Let's pray. You know, let's, let's make sure that together we're in God's presence and God is speaking to us and we're obeying him. The point is this, you've got to build an altar at your house. It's good to have an altar here at God's house but you need to build an altar at your house. You need to be praying, worshiping, singing together as a family at your house. And that's what Abraham does. It's like he's planting a church and he's a pastor and his household are the first converts. And now all the pagans, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they're welcome to come worship his God and to convert to the worship of his God. And then he's told to wait. And what God says is, whole nation is coming. It's gonna be a while. He's not gonna see that in his lifetime. Ultimately, the waiting is for the coming of Jesus Christ. And from the promise of Abraham to the first coming of Jesus is 2000 years. But all the promises come true. The sons come, the nation comes and the son of God comes to the nation of Israel. And then Jesus, it's amazing because what we've seen, we've seen the fall of Adam, the fall of Noah. This is the fall of Abraham. Jesus comes, no fall. All the other sons fall, but the son of God does not. 
and he lives without sin and he goes to the cross and he dies and he pays the penalty for all of Abraham's sin. And now Abraham is forgiven and Jesus dies and his body is buried in the ground that was promised to the descendants of Abraham. And his body rises in the ground, from the ground rather, promised to the descendants of Abraham. Jesus ascends into heaven and he is the real king. He is the greater Pharaoh. He is the son of God, ruling a kingdom that is greater than Egypt. And now we have waited 2000 years for the second coming of Jesus. He waited 2000 years for the first coming of Jesus. We're waiting 2000 years for the second coming of Jesus. And let me just close with a bit of encouragement. Cause if you look at Pharaoh, Abraham and Sarah, it's discouraging. If you look up and see God, it's super encouraging. And so uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna turn this into an altar moment where we meet with the Lord, but let me just summarize this for you and pray for you. If God can forgive and use Abraham and Sarah, God can forgive and use you. If you failed your test, God can use it for your testimony. That's why their story is in the scriptures. If you've made a mess of your life, God can make it into a message of the new life that God gives. That's the story of Abraham and Sarah. If you've lived by sight, and we all have, God can open your eyes so that you can now live by faith as Abraham did. If you've made some bad financial decisions, God can still bless you as he did Abraham and Sarah. If God can save this marriage, God can save your marriage. If God can save this family, God can save your family. If God can love these people, God can love all people. If God can have a plan for them, then God has a plan for you. And if you've gone south, the good news is right now you can turn around and God will give you grace to start heading north. And the good news is this, even when we've done some things that are awful, our God is still willing to meet with us at his altar. That's what we're gonna do right now. Father, I thank you that the story of Genesis is not just a story of what happened, but what always happens. And God, thank you that you don't just show us the best or the worst days, but the best and the worst days of your people. And God, there are days, us men, we're like Abraham. And there are days that us women are like Sarah. But God, you're the same today, yesterday, and forever. You're the God who knows. You're the God who heals. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who speaks. You're the God who blesses. You're the God who redeems. You're the God who saves. And you're the God who is faithful for generations. So we now come to meet with you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the God of Abraham. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.